Just me and Grognak. What's up, Grognak? I am Grognak. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, uh, nothing. Ready for a, um, an interesting interview? Yes, most definitely. But first, uh, did you hear? Did you see? Or hear? How do you hear? It's a fucking picture. Did you see the chat GPT description of the paranormies? Yeah, it's kind of old. A little outdated. It's a little outdated. Well, outdated. Uh, tells me that the AI is not updated very much. It tells me that it's unaware of me, so I better stay on the DL. Yes, I didn't mention. Yeah, where where did I put it? I put it in. The, I put it on the channel. There it is. Maybe I have immunity. <laughs> oh man, um, the Paranormies is the name of a podcast that covers various topics related to the paranormal, conspiracy theory, theories, and alternative history. And. Brought this podcast hosted by a group of individuals who use pseudonyms, including Johnny Monoxide, Zev, and Bradshaw. Hmm. The show often takes a humorous and irreverent approach to these topics and has gained a following amongst those with an interest in the strange and unusual. It's worth noting that the topics covered on the paranormies are often controversial and some of the content may not be suitable for all audiences. Additionally, the opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect the views of all listeners, and it's always a good idea to approach such topics with a critical and open mind. This was when asked... When Chat GPT was asked, "What do you know about the paranormies?" Hmm. I'd say that's a pretty positive of. <laughs> yeah, but it just tells you. But I mean, it, like I said, you can tell by the names of uh, who they have for the hosts, the co-hosts. That um, it, it it didn't even dox you. So right, polite. right, right. So polite. I know exactly. Weird. I was. That reminds me of the time when Anglin said something and he instead of saying my name he called me the the little guy who thinks the earth is hollow little italian guy who thinks the earth is hollow yeah well well i still do i mean i still think the world is hollow. i mean hollow yeah he's got some different names people know him by so fair is fair it's true it's very true but uh yeah, we, st- we still think it's hollow right we layer cake earth they're they're hollowing out pieces of it every day. In fact, actually, uh, I had a conversation with my wife the other day. Uh, I had to tell her there there weren't as many children getting uh, released from giant trafficking tunnels down below us as maybe some of these white rabbit hole things tell you. Yeah. Wait a minute, your wife your wife believes? Yeah, that. yeah. She- well, it's a very mainstream thing right now to talk about all the the, the, the all these keys. Mainstream kids. thing. There's like, are you aware of like Burrow TV and all this? There's no. entire like channels you can get on your Roku that have oh, okay. very cool people like Simon Shuck on there. Oh, really? But they have entire sections devoted to things like Satanism and uh, child trafficking and stuff. And it's it's ratcheting up the the fear porn angle on the uh, the truther conspiracy stuff big time. Hmm. So I'm just saying, I think some of that chasm clearing is uh. 
just people trying to make Earth hollow, right? Well, I mean, it is. I don't think it's making it hollow. I think that there's something going on, but... Lots of explosions. Lots of explosions underground. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but that's but that's the that's the that's the Bella Dashwood. I told Old Skull after hearing the episode you guys did on the nukes, you guys mentioned how the Russians claim they have the nuke that can blow up a area the size of Texas. And how would they know that? And you know that all these tests are done underground. Supposedly they're blowing up nukes underground, and it makes right. sense that they're blowing up. You know, they're chasm clearing, mm-hmm. really. You know what I mean? Sure. They're not testing nukes. They're just making shelters. Hmm. They're making, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're building arcs, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. There's lots of pictures leaked of them online. They're everywhere. Yeah, but are they really leaked? No, that's the other thing. Well, I think they they've even purposely leaked them in the movies. You remember? Um, yeah. Dawn, it was was a Dawn of the Dead. They go into that, down into the big salt mines. I remember being a kid seeing that and being like, that, "That's underground." You remember that movie? What movie? The zombie movie where they go underground. Is is that one Dawn? Is I don't think that's Dawn of the Dead. Is it oh, Day zombie of the Dead? movie where they go underground? Damn it. They're mil- it's the survivors in the group are military guys. They're doing experiments on the zombies too to see how if they can teach them like lab rats. But they're basically in big salt mines. I think, or maybe it's not salt mines, but it's similar to it. Big, big cleared out caverns. Hmm. So they show you in movies and everything. Oh, absolutely, you know? they show us in movies. Just like in like King Kong and King Kong versus Godzilla, you have uh, the Hollow Earth and the tunnel system and the the rocket the hologram rocket sky. The, what's that? The hologram sky. The hologram right? sky. Well, it was just like an LED screen down there. It wasn't mm-hmm. really a hologram. It was a, It was an actual. That was what that was. Was like a. Uh, I guess it was a hologram, but it was a hologram projected inside of like a cage, like a large enclosure. Which is basically what we have. We're uh, looking at a hologram on the inside of a large cage on the inside of the uh, largest. Um. Animal farm, graduated animal farm, there is, right? Despite all my rage, I am still, still just a rat in a cage. Just a rat in a cage, yeah. The guy at work, dude, he loves Billy Corgan. He keeps talking about everything. Like, he's, he's into music. He knows that I'm into, like, guitars and music and whatnot. And, and, um, we start talking about, about stuff. And he, I guess he's a pedal nerd. And, he's, and Billy Corgan's his hero. And he starts well, telling him, yeah, he loves Billy Corgan. Interesting. Yeah. And it's like, really? Of all the guys? Oh, that's the guy. I don't know. Um, Man, his head. Yeah, his it's head. It's a weird shape, huh? It's so large and not really. like It's, 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 it's like the olive on a toothpick. It's like from um, from Soy Murder and Axe Murder. Remember? Heath, paper, no. <laughs> His giant head. It's like an olive on a toothpick. No, that's a that's a strange movie reference for tonight. That's a good one. Oh, I love that movie. So I married there's a lot dude, I want to go back and watch that again. It's probably terrible. I'm sure it's terrible, but like there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of funny references in there. Mike Myers did do some funny things. Oh, we just found mazes and monsters on uh one of these apps. I was like, oh we gotta we gotta watch that one. Mazes and monsters? 
Yeah, do you know about that? Uh-uh. That's during the Satanic Panic. It's about Dungeons and Dragons and Tom Hanks, isn't it? I believe he becomes like some kind of ritual murderer. Hmm. He like thinks he turns into his character and kills people. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, guess what I just found out? Um, Scott Adams, racist rant today. You heard about that? Where he's like, mm, white no. people should just run away from blacks, just get away from black people. White people just get away from them. Just get stay away from black people. We're tr- we're trying. We are trying, Scott. Like the way to wake up. All of a sudden, he's another one who is like, you know, with the with the vaccine. Remember, he's like, well, maybe everybody just manifested what they wanted. Those people who didn't believe the vaccine was poison, it wasn't poison. For those who believed it was, it was. Shut up, That's- Scott. That sounds like foreshadowing, yeah. actually, for our conversation, though. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Did that on purpose. Um, but this says, uh, DJ Vlad says, I spoke to Scott Adams. He confirmed that the video of him isn't a deep fake. I tried to explain to him how hurtful his statements were to black people, and he responded that I was being racist as fuck because he's white. You won't see any more interviews with Scott on Vlad TV. Oh, So I guess Dilbert Mann won't be uh, appearing in media anymore. Oh, well. Bye. 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 There's a lot of people eating dirt. Oh, yeah. A lot of people died, but not died suddenly. Died suddenly. You didn't fall for died suddenly, did you, Grog? Not that this is bullshit. Died suddenly. I mean, people die suddenly all the time, don't they? Right. We met, Oh, we had that conversation again at work today um, where we were like, you know, you guys remember... Because a couple of guys I'm working with are my age and a couple a little younger than me. I was like, you guys remember gym class, right? That would, uh, you, three or four cases of myocarditis, right? You had the one kid had a stroke, right? Remember that? Third grade? No? You guys didn't have, you didn't have like two or three kids had strokes in third grade during gym class? No? Hmm. Weird. Just now, huh? There was like, yeah, that is pretty weird how they're saying that kids are doing that now. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? But that's not happening. Totally not happening. Because that one study that Tucker brought up purposefully to be debunked by idiots like people that quote debunked it he's playing his role absolutely if you don't think the son of a cia agent who didn't quote quote did not get into the cia oh yeah i'm sure just happens to be tucker fucking carlson like their biggest talking head now after hannity and uh bill o'reilly and all that now tucker's the big guy yeah, those guys always have a really hard fall too. I'm kind of, hmm. oof. I'm like bracing for this guy, you know. <laughs> I don't much how many how many more years they can squeeze out of him, but well, they always go down pretty hard, don't they? This is true. They do. Um, wasn't Bill O'Reilly's racism, or was it? No, it was Me Too, right? Yeah, he had a Me Too thing. He had a. I think he had a. I want to say he had. A, Drug thing too. But oh yeah, the drug thing. Well, it's, it's, dude, with, uh, at least they do. At least Fox News does it to you before you leave. Like other places, just after you leave, they're like, "Yeah, he was schizo anyway." Well, he was oh, unhinged right. and crazy anyway. I know. I know we had him around for nine, eight, nine years, but what a crazy person! Now I know we totally gave him control of everything, but what a fucking schizo! Yeah. Well, you know, when you have some kind of organization or cult. These people, these people should probably take notice that you need like a backup plan for right. w- one of your best friends, like not liking you anymore, instead of just calling them crazy or. Well, that's the thing is, like them. some organizations, like like again, like Fox what? News, like they will 
plot, they'll plot your downfall and do it to you publicly, right? These other organizations wait till you leave, and then after you leave, they they call your names. Yeah, yeah. Strange, strange how everybody who's ever left certain organizations, kind of like Jews, they'll never tell you, you know, they'll tell you what happened to them, they'll never tell you why. Strange, very strange. Anyhow, we have a great, great show for you tonight. Um, we have a guest. He's an author. His name is Sol Luckman. His Substack is soulluckman.substack.com. Um, and he's got a podcast on YouTube. You can check him out. I think was it called Crow Rising. Yes. Is his, is his, uh, where did you, you know, you, now you found, this is another one of Grognak's suggestions for interviews. Now, where did you find Saul? I was watching some of Jason's interviews, much like the one we did. And he did one around the same time as us. And then he did a second one. I watched them both and he gave some of the, the best interviews with him. He's, um, as far as the simulation topic goes, I think he's got a interesting perspective on it. So this yes. has been a thing we're talking about lately. Mm-hmm. And from what I've, from what I've seen of his stuff, um, I haven't had, I haven't had a chance to listen to too much of it. I did, I did watch the whole, uh, Archaics and Saul Luckman interview that are that was really cool, and I read some of his art, some of his article, and I listened to some of his book. So this should be fun, man. Um, he writes he writes fiction, and but it's it's fiction with um like what would you call it, like esoteric truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You describe one of them as kind of gnostic. Others, oh, are, absolutely. Well, it's it's called a gnostic tale. I have like, cryptids and stuff in them as characters, which is pretty neat. Dude, he's got yeah, he's got books that I, I definitely have to check out the book snooze. But uh, we are going to get into it with Saul Luckman right now. All right, Saul Luckman, welcome to the Paranormies. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, I did like I was saying earlier, I did not get a chance to get too far into the the Cali book. Um, I was not able to wear my headphones at work this week as much as I normally am, so I only got to listen to about two hours of it. It is an intriguing book so far, I have to say. Well, I'm glad the, I'm glad you think so. You know, uh, it um, it builds. Right, so the first the first two hours are probably not the 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 what is it the uh, the attention grabbers there. Well, I guess not, not for you anyway. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm getting the like the point of the story, but like I, I I feel like there's a lot more. How many chapters is it? Hmm, I think it's like eighty chapters. Right, so I'm only on like chapter three. So, oh yeah, yeah the uh, the first three chapters are actually just almost like backstory, and then it jumps right into the. Um, to the the narrative where everything starts to go pretty fast and it it gets dangerous really quickly and all that sort of uh, sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit different from my last novel, Snooze, which jumped right in in a very different way. Even though that was also a backstory, but this was a different this was a different beast. Mm. No, how many books have you written altogether? We know you've written a few. Yeah, um, you know, I haven't really counted them up. <laughs> um, 
Wow, well, that's a lot. If you if you I have mean, to if you have to sit back and be like, gee, how many? Man, that's just the the well, humblest of humble brags. There are these two novels, right? So the, the <laughs> news, a story of awakening, and Callie the Destroyer, and then there was a, a satirical lexicon I did a few years ago called the Angels Dictionary. Okay, and then there's potentiate your DNA, which is about this energy healing method I, I developed, and that was the sequel to a book called Conscious Healing. And then there are three books that I published as part of the Beginner's Luke series that I'm reissuing as one big book with three more books. So uh, that's coming out later this year, and that's going to be uh, you know a big, big, uh, picaresque, uh, irreverent uh, roller coaster ride uh, hmm. for people interested in the imagination and simulation theory concepts. Now, I heard you mention that uh, when you were talking to Jason from Archaics the other day. Is that the, what's it called? The Story of Luke? It's Beginner's Luke. Beginner's Luke. That's what it's called. That's, mm-hmm. that's what they're... the adventure, an adventure, The Adventure of an Imaginary Lifetime. Cool. That sounds, that sounds, uh, th- that's the simulation theory book. And that's the one I'm very interested in. Um, you are, in fact, a simulationist. Right? I am and have been for a long time, apparently. Oh, how did you, I mean, did you just one day discover, oh, hey, I am a simulator, or did you, was this something you were aware of, or as you came to oh, it, or did you just one day realize? currents <laughs> that, that flowed into that years and years ago. I, I got really sick when I was in my late 20s and spent the better part of a decade trying to get well, trying to figure out what had happened to me, and then trying to figure out how to get well, and mm. that was when I began going down the path of energy medicine, uh, things like Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, also the path of shamanism, a lot of the castaneda material and related materials. And really implicit in, in a lot of that material was the possibility that, you know, we are not living in the real world. We're living in what we think is the real world, but there's something that's that's actually more real than this world or is, or is the foundation of this world. I looked at Dewey Larson's concepts of physics and how we we live in this one reality we call space-time, but really there's a blueprint bedrock reality that gives rise to all of that, which is the energetic domain and that's called time-space. That was really really fascinating. And then I began having, you know, my own experiences of uh, kind of just wild, very strange things. I had a, you know, what's been called a contactee experience by by Greg Carl would over at higher side chats but i don't think of it that way i think of it as more of a mystical experience but these lights came across the water and jumped in my body uh, along with my partner when we were seeking healing down in brazil when i was really really sick and uh whoa that was really wild and then mm. that night we began downloading all of these this information all these codes that we were supposed to sing to ourselves and then that that's what got me well and that was the foundation of regenetics the found I'm sorry you're, for some reason like right in the middle of that word your internet hiccup it's the foundation of what now of regenetics the regenetics method and and potentiation is is the name of that first activation and that's the the uh, subject matter of potentiate your DNA okay now that is something that I'm going to have to look into now that sounds extremely interesting and this is this is a, a like a self healing method 
Yeah, the potentiation, the potentiate your DNA teaches you how to do that activation for yourself. It's a 30-minute activation. It's like a form of sound healing, but it has a mental component as well. Mm-hmm. And it uses vowels and it uses the solfeggio scale. It uses specifically the 528 hertz note, me, the me note. And that that book teaches you how to do it. There are subsequent levels that you would need to uh, work with a facilitator to to experience. But uh, the first level of four levels is something you can learn on your own. Okay. But I wanted to finish my story about yeah, the, yeah. the situation thing. So then when I was sick simultaneously uh, with all this other stuff going on, I, I, I describe all of this in Potentiate Your DNA. I had this kind of very strange, surreal, almost mystical experience of this character walking in one day and introducing himself to me. And that became Luke. That was Luke. And I began writing his story, and it was just deeply, implicitly simulationist, right? And so later on, I had done all of this research. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been doing allergy elimination technique, working as an energy healer, and studying metaphysics and physics and science and all of this stuff, a homeopathy, many, many things. And I began to understand that science itself via things like the Heisenberg uncertainty concept, the principle was beginning to see the cracks in reality. So much so that you have, you know, experiments like the double slit experiments where you have the observer changing the outcome of the experiment. And I just realized immediately, Oh, okay, this is a simulation. This is (laughs) not. So I wrote a lot about that concept in conscious healing alongside some very related concepts having to do with quantum holography and bioholography and this idea that we are holograms inside a hologram and uh, what, what that means in terms of consciousness and the imagination and our ability not only to heal ourselves, but to perform miracles. Hmm. Man, um, there are some listeners right now that are like, man, this is some real schizo stuff. But it's actually not. Yeah, they're, they're you know those people are all probably pretty good. So they're the ones. Yeah, actually, the projection is real. Um, we could call, we could call a lot of names around here because we we talk to a lot of people that have a lot of different opinions than uh, the norm. Even outside of the norm of what we would consider like the truth movement or conspiracy theory or whatever, um, a lot of people still laugh when you bring up simulation theory. Um, but that's what you, you're, you're saying is that we are basically a hologram inside of a hologram inside of a fictional tale. I am saying that. In fact, my last interview with, uh, with Jason Bashir's of Archaics was, was just a, all about this concept. It was, I think the, the uh, video was called the, the simulacrum as a narrative construct. And it's looking at the world as a kind of malleable, uh, um, interactive text. Mm-hmm. It's literally a choose your own adventure. I mean, we were it talking is. about super D and D. Yeah, I was gonna say we were just talking about D and D before the show, and this is as D and D as it gets. Literally, choose your own adventure every day. I jokingly like, um, I'm an electrician. I work with with young guys, the apprentices, and like we talk about this stuff all the time because the young guys are really into the conspiracy stuff now. It's great. Um, <laughs> and, like I don't have to freak out the old the older guys with my with my stuff, and, and I can talk to the young dudes that are all into this. And I, so and I was like, look. The only thing, and they bring up, um, what's Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy, the Free Guy movie? And that's really kind of sort of what it is. We're just, we open our eyes in the morning and we are the player one in a first person perspective mass, you know, role playing game. 
really. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And people for a really, really long time have been looking at this. I mean, we're talking, this has historical momentum behind it. You have you have the concept of Maya in the mm-hmm. Vedic tradition, this idea of illusion or magic. That, that's, that's a description of the world, what it actually is. And there are discrepancies and debates on that, what that term actually means. And different schools of thought have different opinions on that but one is that we're literally describing something like a simulation you have aboriginal dream time it's very very powerful stuff people who have experienced that and have reported on it you know have talked about you know the the deeply shamanic quality of it i mean all the toltec castaneda stuff is it's so so simulationist it's not even funny i've been doing a complete rereading of all of castaneda's work uh, since i really got into the archaics data and i've been doing kind of an overlay and it's just you know it's absolutely fascinating you have physicists uh, like richard allen miller but as far as back as the 1970s writing papers like a holographic concept of reality where he's actually demonstrating from a scientific perspective how it would work to be a hologram existing inside something like a simulation how it would work cellularly mm-hmm. very very fascinating stuff then you have like other people um uh other scientists looking at like the the uh, how like we have these very tiny uh, uh uh like acupuncture holographic acupuncture meridians in different parts of our body and it appears to be fractal meaning that you have like a, a normal one that's the size of your body but then other areas of the body then have smaller ones like the ear and then apparently it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller smaller until it disappears out of sight like atoms Hmm. weird isn't it so so we're like (laughs) we're in a super fractal ear reality that just goes infinitely in both directions in my opinion Mm -hmm. and we're it absolutely does i am um i know jason we, we talk about jason all the time jason's one of our favorite new guests on the show uh, awesome. Yeah, we had him on twice last season. He's great. Um, he likes to come yeah, on I here. Caught, I caught at least one of those shows and some of, maybe some of the second one, but you, awesome. know, you guys are going to do a lot of good material. Thank you. Um, he came. He, he likes coming on because we let him cuss. We don't give a shit. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can drink I can drink my Modellos and cuss. I'm like, right on, Jason. I like that guy. That's right, right. Yeah. Hang out. So, um, but we talk, man, I totally forgot what I was going to say now. Um, shit. Uh, Jason and the, the simulation theory. I forgot what I was going to say. Just This is kind of a new topic to us this year. It, it kind of, of is. Thing. Well, I've always been a bit of a closet simulationist, having read Baudrillard and been a big fan of the Matrix series and, of course, Dark City. Um, I And, of course, you know, Grognag, you know that we came up with the theory a couple of years ago that kind of like Matt from Quantum of Conscience, that it's the... It's the the Truman Show Matrix composite sort of uh, artificial reality construct that we live in. Um, yeah, when, when we get into the flat Earth stuff, it's not hard to see that flat, the flat Earth community doesn't have all the answers. You know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you can't just stop there. Obviously, no, you can't. And that's that's where some of our friends, like one of our really good friends, that actually left our chat recently because we don't. I don't know if we t- we don't talk about flat Earth enough or whatever, but uh, like. I, I, I made the comment that the flat earth discussions are boring at this point because we've already hit all the points. We know all of the, we, we know all the arguments, you know, on both sides. And, um, but the problem is, is that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's another, it's another, <laughs> it's another one of those graduated animal farms where you get stuck behind the gate. 
You know, it, it's it's not just a flat earth. It's the infinite plane of this, you know, that goes on infinitely in every direction. And it's flat. Yes. And it's flat. You know, so there is that too. Um, I am more of a subscriber of the giant computer board theory. I like that one personally, you know, I like that one. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. I mean, you know, and yet here's what, here's where things get really weird is because even in flat earth, there are certain things that, that as compelling as a lot of the data is that still are a bit mysterious. Like if we are living in localized environments with a localized sun and Jason pointed this out today and it's something I've thought about, but then you cross the ice wall and you go for a very long time. What is your source of light? Right. Where's your sun? What's going on here, folks? I mean, I just, maybe there's another one sitting over there waiting for you, but it all seems very strange and a little bit contrived. All of it does. And again, it only makes sense if it is a mathematically constructed artificial reality. Yes, exactly. This is exactly what I'm getting at. And what happens in this kind of reality, if you're dealing with a true AI, as opposed to these fake AIs, these, mm-hmm. just, you know, chatbot GPT and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. All of that's just pure fake artificial quote unquote unquote artificial intelligence. And I agree with Jason that there will never be an artificial intelligence Mm-mm. here because we're inside an artificial intelligence. And that, that, uh, that apex predator that we're talking about being the the master AI is not ever going to uh, to uh, brook any competition, if you know what I mean. Exactly, exactly. It's like that's why the that's why you go to jail for selling drugs because the government doesn't like competition. Exactly. That's so funny. I love that's a great joke. So here's the problem is that we live in an observer based reality. That's the nature of the simulation. Somehow we're interacting with it in such a way that it keeps feeding back to us whatever we believe. Mm hmm. So that let's say in the whole, you know, uh, the whole uh, virus debate, for example, Mm. both sides appear to be totally incapable of understanding each other. It's like a complete Tower of Babel scenario. And it really only makes sense, all the the vitriol and uh, hysterics and histrionics that you see in this debate, it really only makes sense if they literally are getting different data feeds to support their positions. Yeah, it it almost seemed like it didn't affect the people who paid no heed to it. The people who went out and were very afraid of, you know, catching a virus and people who wanted to prepare themselves with uh with different medications and um right right. different things you know they uh they seem to be the ones who caught it not the people who you know just walked in willy-nilly into society walked in and out that's been my observation that's absolutely been my observation so i don't want to say that one side is wrong and one side is right i want to say they're both right because they're they're getting Fed back what they're putting into the simulation. Yeah, it's a, the same yeah, I agree. That thing goes with the shape of the Earth argument. Absolutely, yeah. uh, it's the same thing with with just about any sort of quote conspiracy topic, whether it's Sandy Hook, nine eleven, the moon landing, uh, nukes being fake, or um, now the trains. What's that? The, the trains. trains, yeah, the trains, yeah, we, the train derailments that were just happening recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, this all to me, this rings very um, similar to the Fukushima disaster. I remember seeing the um, the spread on the maps that were online of all the 
the supposed radiation going into the water and everything. You know, there were people like, uh, you know, there was famous physicists, physicists like talking about how they were going to move to the Southern Hemisphere to avoid this and everything. And nothing ever seemed to really happen from it. So, you know, it makes you wonder if these, uh, you know, they, don't, they say not to let a good tragedy go to waste. So maybe the derailment, you know, they made a bigger deal out of it to, to spread the fear. You know, it's hard to tell. It is. I can't, I can't they, say they, they that. Probably use crises like that. I mean, that that's that's such a wise adage. You know, never let let that go to waste because that always happens. But then, you know, are some of them induced with that purpose, or do they let let it play and then they spin it, or is it a combination? I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. It's very it's very strange. It's like I can't say like that the coronavirus doesn't exist. It just didn't exist for me. It certainly existed for other people I know. <laughs> so it's very uh, holographic. That's a that's a good way of putting it. I mean, it, it definitely didn't exist for me, even though people around me were, quote, getting sick with COVID constantly. So Yeah, okay. no. all right. I saw the same types of things, you know. Schrodinger's had, virus. You know, <laughs> sorry? Schrodinger's virus. Schrodinger's virus. Yes. <laughs> Right. That would be an awesome t-shirt. Actually, <laughs> Grognak, write that down, dude. We're doing that. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I really like that. Um man. That, was years. that was really but, smart. But like you were saying, like you were saying about uh getting fed back what you what you're looking for. Yeah. And again, you know, that's exactly what these algorithms are doing. And that's man, that's not even like the deep master AI. That's just, you know, meta and Twitter and Google and Telegram and whatever else these algorithms, you know, are that they, they see your clicks and likes and how long you stay on a page and whatever. They add it all up and they just feed you what you like. Absolutely. I mean, clearly that's how YouTube monetizes itself. It looks at how long people are viewing videos. It's not even so much how many sus- subscribers you have. It's all about uh, link of viewing mm-hmm. and then that or clicks page, in general clicks Just, in general so like, like when you're viewing around i mean you know you, it's very obvious on youtube this you know you are getting what you're putting in it's almost like uh <laughs> here's a microcosm of how life works in a sim yeah I, it's it's crazy back to you exactly what you're putting into it mm-hmm. you're getting out what you're looking for and, and that's the thing and well at are you, is this really what you want or what the, what the algorithm is telling you that you want at this point? I don't know. I have a shamanic take on things. I, don't, I, don't, I think that people are ultimately responsible whether they want to abdicate, respons- abdicate responsibility or not. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have the conscious and the unconscious. I think you have the conscious and the consciously unconscious. And these are choices that people are making. Consciously unconscious, yes. Yeah. So kind of like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Willfully ignorant is the word. Yes. Yes. Very much. Yes. Very much. That's because a, that's a phrase out of out of my book, uh, Beginner's Luke. Oh, cool. I, no, I, 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 I kind of wonder how that works with the paranormal. Do you think that people who go seeking for paranormal events are more apt to experience them in that case? Hundred percent. Unless that's, unless you don't believe it, if you're like one of those guys that's going out to look for ghosts, but you're like, ghosts don't fucking exist, anyways. You're not going to say Oh, yeah, you're right. I was assuming you were talking about believers. But yes, I think, you know, you send a skeptic out into the field and they're going to get zero or minimal results compared mm. to people who really believe. This is actually a good litmus test for how this works. 
What uh that's actually a good question. What is your theory on ghosts in general? Like what the the paranormal like like spirits the that kind of stuff. What's your what's what's your take on that kind of stuff? Hmm. You know, I don't really as an aside. Um, I didn't mean to throw it at you thinking, like that, but thinking about ghosts, uh well <laughs> let me let me back up and punt. So when I wrote Snooze, which is also a Bigfoot novel, by the way, and uh, uh Zana, who's named after the Russian ape woman, is a character in the book, and she is a she is a, a Sasquatch. And she exists in time space, so she's she is through the veil. So my main character, Max, his mother died in childbirth, his father was an a famous astronaut who ended up going looking for her in the other realm because he felt that um, that we we have doppelgangers who exist in the the parallel realm. So here we perceive ourselves as a body, but we have an energy body that is our twin. And if we were to travel over to the other world and look back at ourselves, we would be the energy body of the real person. So it's a, a reciprocal relationship going on there. So I basically theorize in a roundabout way in Snooze that we're actually having encounters with beings from time space. Hmm. And from a simulationist perspective, you could say that perhaps we're actually having encounters with um, disembodied avatar-like beings from outside the simulation. Or, mm-hmm. as Jason has theorized, that you might be looking at um, people who are inside the simulation who were, uh, who were, uh, perhaps, um, uh, they were disconnected, but they were not allowed to exit for some reason. So they're kind of here in a purgatorial way. Right. That's kind of, that's kind of one of my, my theories is the, um, not quite deleted code. Yeah, I, I really, I think both could be going on because, you know, like, let's say we get, Let's say we are contacted by our higher selves. For me, that would be somebody sitting in, you know, outside the simulation who is trying to connect with us, maybe sending us information. Like in the Hunger Games, you know, we get some mm-hmm. kind of package out of the sky, right? And that's from that's from a benefactor. That's somebody who's helping us out. And it could be ourselves or uh, our technicians or teachers or whatever. We, it's, it's hard to say. But you could also imagine scenarios where you would be getting communications from people who might not have your best interests in at heart or people who are trying to scare you for teaching purposes or whatever. And those might be frightful and appear ghostly. So you could have both things going on. Hmm. Where do you think that crop circles fall in that category? Yeah. They seem to be messages from the outside when you look at them from a perspective of simulation theory, don't they? I agree. I think they're, I think they're coming from outside the sim and you know, they have a lot of them appear to have, very interesting clues about the nature of this so-called reality and uh, the mathematics and energetics of it, that sort of thing. Oh no, but they've also, been debunked. Also timeline though, information, all kinds of weird stuff having to do with calendars. And, you know, I'm just waiting to see the first uh, Phoenix crop circle, like a serious, serious ass Phoenix crop mm. circle. Yeah. Jason Phenomenon. does mention them in one of his books. I can't remember which one, the, the larger print one. And, um, it talks about how there are several circles. They all add up to numbers that mostly signify the date for 2046. Interesting. Interesting. So mm. will we, will, you know, between now and then, will we see a big, 
a big, uh, very perfect crop circle that clearly is speaking to one of these, uh, one of these phenomena or both of them. It certainly makes you wonder, doesn't it? It, it really I'm does. Because lookout. I've been on the lookout since I discovered this material. I'm like, oh, man, we're going to see a crop circle at some point, And it's going to be so freaky because it's going to be essentially a, a hieroglyphic of what he's been talking about. Yeah. yeah, it seems they're very concentrated around the area of Wales, like over 80 percent of them. Right. Hmm. Is there a reason? Is, uh, what's the theory behind that? It's very close to Stonehenge. Okay, so it's just, and, but uh, even though Stonehenge has been moved and redone, and yeah, but I think the reason actually, the more I look into it, I think Stonehenge was just um, if it was moved around, it was moved because of the maybe the pole shift from once you know we had uh, the Eye of the Dragon was the pole star before the thirteenth zodiac, and then you know now that we've shifted thirty degrees. Uh, I think they moved it so that astrologically it would still make sense. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's, you know, those are my baby steps into learning about the Stonehenge. I know it has a lot to do with the Oreb. There's, um, mm. you met, you can measure the, um, the angles and it may, it adds up to things that have to do with the pyramid, 1080, things right. like this. So there's a lot there to that. All those fifty-two degree angles and yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, and so we lost Alpha Draconis uh, when the vapor canopy fell, and we lost the thirteenth sign that would be Ophiuchus. So there was a ba- a major change astrologically speaking, and now the the constellations don't even look like what they're supposed to look like, and that sort of thing because we've shifted obviously. So maybe that did impact the positioning of Stonehenge, which was like a gigantic calendar. Yeah, and you know, I always wondered about that when I was a kid, why none of those constellations look like what they're supposed to. <laughs> right. So like there's three there's three stars draw lines and that's a sheep, that's Aries. All right. That those two lines, those two dots over there, and that one dot way over there, that's a scale. That's Libra. I know. You know that's or, crazy. Or like, what? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I always looked at them thinking I was too stupid to see what everybody else could see that's what i did for years and years so, I'm, i pretended i was smart when i was talking with astrologers like oh yeah i get it you know? oh yeah, yeah of course yes, i of had course. no idea what i was looking at i was I Same. the constellations trying to see a picture what a grognak what did what is what was the theory what did you just say about that what's the theory behind the fact that there's like you know three dots makes a giant picture with the, with, the, with the constellations being what they are there used to be more stars is that what you're saying oh well so you know the um, the pole star that all the the zodiac rotates around. Mm. That star changed, so even oh, though we kept okay. the names for all of the I constellations. Right, 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 they're right, right. they're different star patterns. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. They just did kind of like when they changed the names of the months, where October is actually the tenth month, even though oct is eight. Oh yeah, it's almost the end of the year, isn't it, guys? It's supposedly actually the last week of the year, <laughs> which is a real calendar. Why April Fool's Day is actually the New Year's because everybody's fooled. Uh, it would be the vernal. Right? Isn't that, isn't that how that works? Would no, be the celebration of the uh, New Year's. Oh, I thought that was, was actually, the whole point behind the April Fool's Day. I don't know where April Fool's Day came from. No, I, no, I thought that was like the esoteric the meaning behind it is that they're mocking us because they took away. They made January first the first day of the year when it's actually April first. I don't know. I might have. I might have misheard that, or I could have just made that up. Who knows? 
<laughs> Actually, if you count March as the first month of the year, mm. it would make May 16th the 138th day of the year. Which means? The day, the day that Phoenix is supposed to come. Ah. <laughs> In case you can't tell, Saul, Grognek really likes Jason's work. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I love, I've I love, I had never heard, honestly, I hadn't listened to Jason for a while, at, at, actually at all, at, at, yet, I hadn't started, but this is a while back, and Grognak started using this term harrowing, <laughs> and I was like, where the fuck did you come up with that word? And then I listened to Jason, I'm like, oh, now I get it. No, it totally is, and he's not wrong, that is actually the, the correct term for that, but I had never like, heard anybody use that before. <laughs> As many times as you did when you were telling us about this stuff, bro. It's great. There's though. no it, other word for it. it there is, no, there really isn't. I mean, it will terrifying. Uh, I mean, you know, the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. They're, they're going to shake up the Etch-A-Sketch. Well, when I first interviewed him, our very first interview, I pointed out that he liked to use that word a lot. And he got self-conscious about it after that. <laughs> he's a really, he is, honestly, I, I feel he is, he's a very genuine dude. Yep. I yeah. do too. And Grognek so, is his biggest fan. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of history and chronology. Mm-hmm. So for someone to come along and actually give you um, a lot of data to back up historical context is just awesome because it's hard to get now, especially in good presentation. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And the, the uh, prolificness of his posting. Holy cow. Like a oh, video yeah. a day, sometimes two. Yeah. I, and um, as far as historical you know, cleaning up historical facts. So I don't know if you're um, familiar with the, um, the controversy, of course, behind the authorship behind William Shakespeare's works. Of course. We found um, a, na- a man named Alexander War. He's a British scholar. And uh, so he thinks he's got to the bottom of the mystery behind all that. And that would be the. What is, it, what is his conclusion? He thinks it's the 17th Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere. And he shows all this interesting coding to show how he hid his name. And uh, basically, that that's where his body is. Shakespeare's body is supposedly the same spot that the Earl of Oxford's body is. And a lot of people knew about this the Queen and many, many people who had to do with playwright in the time. So it, it just goes to show how amazing. Um, it is that so many people can have their hand in lies like this. That's a good example, actually. It's a really good example. I think that theory's been around for a little while. I, I, I'm, I'm, you're sparking my memory. I think I remember reading about this uh, maybe a few years ago. Yeah, we did an episode on John D. Mm. And uh, some of the best uh, work I found on him was by this fellow Alexander. I'll send you some of his work. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. I would be very interested in that. And certainly we, we can agree that, uh, you know, there's a good chance the world, all the world's a stage. Oh, oh yeah. And it makes you wonder how long some of these scripts have been lying around and people have found them and they put new names on them all the time too. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a really cool thing about the, the archaic stuff is really showing how so, so many things that have been canonized as, as sacred texts were, mystery plays or were earlier scriptures that are just being constantly re you know retooled retreaded and trotted out for another civilization 
you know, when you see it happen with modern movies every, you know, 10 years, you have to imagine that um, even people like Beethoven and, and Wagner, you know, who, who wrote that stuff even? Was oh, it man. Really them? Is it really like the, uh, what is it, the uh, Under the Silver Lake? Well, have you, have you heard that the, the author of Heidi probably didn't write Heidi? They, they found older, much older manuscripts for that, which are very likely the ones that were in his possession. And oh, man. I did not classic. know that. They're considered classic works. So everything's up for question, right? Right. Well, I mean, as we know, like, unless you were physically there, it didn't happen. That's how <laughs> that's my theory from now on. If, if I wasn't there, I, it's not real. It didn't happen. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, it's interesting because there's this notion floating around out there and, you know, Jason's tapping into that, that, you know, that so much of the history is backdrop and it's constantly being edited. And so, you know, enter mud floods and resets and that kind of thing. And the same thing will apply to texts mm-hmm. and things that we would perceive, you know, under normal circumstances as just being the historical record, but really it's all backstory and it literally is story right and and a lot of it's repetitive like how they do in movies like they you know they they can't come up with hollywood hasn't come up with an original thought in 40 years or whatever they just remake everything well that's the same way with history they just keep remaking it over and over and over the vandals keep sacking rome yep i agree totally it's it's very strange and it, i know that for people who come at all of this from a desire to get to the truth people with a materialistic bent, that kind of thing. All of this can be very disconcerting and frustrating. But something happens when you begin to seriously consider the simulation hypothesis. And all of a sudden, all of these incongruencies just kind of fade away. They don't matter. Things snap into place. It's it's actually life-changing because it can very dramatically alter your consciousness. Well, there are some people who say that this is just the ultimate form. This is uh, tactical nihilism taken to its logical conclusion. You mean the simulation is? That, yeah, that believing in a simulation, that believing that literally every... We have a phrase here at the Paranormies that everything is fake and gay. And if it's not, if it's not both of them, it's extreme versions of one or the other, right? Um, but... You know, a simulation is everything is fake, uh, but that's like nihilism to some people because you know you're right. you're you're giving up on reality. Well, what is reality? What is consciousness? Like when you tell somebody to define consciousness, and then when you're done defining consciousness, tell me where it comes from. And yep. then I'm the schizo for asking that question. You know, actually, the the topic of nihilism makes more sense to me as a, someone who is delving into simulation theory, mm. because you know the, the the all this idea behind like, well, this is the theology of why you shouldn't just commit suicide. That didn't really make sense to me uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's still obviously it's not the entire idea of Nietzsche's work or nihilism as a whole, but just the concept of caring or not caring about things comes to the table when you consider things to be not as important with their material. Obviously you can't take any of this with you wherever you go. <laughs> well, that's true. You can't take it with you. That's what they always say, right? You can't when you leave, you're not taking anything physical with you because phys- again, I guess the physical isn't real. Yeah. I mean, there's just different ways of looking at all that. If you get into the, well, I was going to say before I go there, okay. that, 
really think we're in a situation when you look at the just the overwhelm overwhelming calendrical data that that Jason has compiled and that a lot of other people have actually contributed to at this point things mm-hmm. like the 1902 database and that sort of thing just all kinds of craziness showing that, that that was some kind of really bizarre reset that has been under acknowledged but when you look at all this i think you end up you know you you, you end up with a i don't know some kind of uh, standoff between nihilists and denialists because you just cannot ignore the numbers here it's too freaky it's too perfect there's no way it's organic and real having said all that when people get into this you know this um uh, sometimes kind of knee-jerk response around around feeling that their reality is being threatened and why live and you know all of that sort of thing uh we're not i'm not saying and nor is nor are a lot of people that there is no reality or there's a, there's nothing outside the simulation that might help give it meaning and i've often said that if we're in some kind of training program then then it automatically has meaning for some reason that maybe we're just not entirely aware of so if we're like fighter pilot trainees you know we're mm. in some kind of simulation and you know if you're in the navy or the air force going through something like that and you're getting trained so that you don't die uh, on a mission you're going to think it's pretty damn important what you're doing even though it is a simulation right it's kind of like the uh the video game characters versus npcs the npcs you know do, do they think they're real people in the game you know you're the real person you're playing the, re- the main character but do the npcs think they're real do the NPCs in your game in everyday life, do they think they're real? You know, it would be fascinating to, to write a script for a movie if one had any way of, you know, getting it made exactly along these lines, mm. doing, doing a story that basically turns the NPCs into the heroes of the story. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Well, they did that you with know, the Lego movie, though. <laughs> I didn't Are, see that. <laughs> Are you familiar with um, with Howdy Mikowski's work? I am. We had him on last season also, and he has an interesting view on things. You know, he, he does think of this more as a trap, of course. He goes right. with the allegory with Plato's cave very heavily. Yeah, and, since uh, Plato was so, so accurate in his history. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So, so listen to Plato. One of the things he mentioned – um, that I remember aptly wanting to like rebuttal to him. And I, maybe if we have him on again, I will. But he, he mentioned how he doesn't think this can be a school because of the mind wipe that, you know, the idea of doing something, uh, a task re- re- that's bad, you know, and not learning from it because you lose your memory. Um, it makes no sense. He describes touching stinging nettle uh, as his example but, you know, it doesn't – obviously, there's a lot to the idea that you would have to actually have a clean slate every time because it would be like cheating if you didn't – you wouldn't truly learn, of course. But also, like, how do you know that it's not the – that it's not the nettle that changes next time? You, you know, you don't – we don't know that the environment we're in isn't just getting tuned um, better for us every time we're here. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, I think I do. You're You're – to some to some degree, you're trying to assign some agency. What you know, where you know, what's calling the shots here, or um... well, we we can only be proper builders um, infinitely, of course, if we can go through these experiences naively, right? 
Yes. And if, if we're also building the world that the nettle's in and we're building the nettle, uh, we need to know if that's going to endanger too many people in the environment that it exists in. You know, there are obviously toxins and poisons in nature. There's obviously even creatures who, you know, they provide no real benefit to the ecosystem that they're in. And they even become really detrimental to being um, introduced to different biological atmospheres that they're not supposed to be in. So maybe this place is getting tuned every time. So what's the hmm. point exactly? What, how does that, how does that um, impact the idea of, a, of, you know, the question of whether the, um, uh, the simulation is a school or a trap? Well, I think it could still be a school for us because obviously we're still, we're still learning even though we're losing our memory, right? Because you might be in a different position each time. But you wouldn't be learning anything if you kept your retaining memories because you'd just be building upon that past amount of what you know. You know what I mean? Almost like you can't teach a dog new tricks. Well, it seems to me that Howdy's position is that we are this being that we think we are in the simulation. That is not Jason's position, and it's certainly not mine. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are a much greater being or a being in training who is, who is actually jacked into the simulation. If you want to look at it that way and that we, the information that's being recorded that provides some kind of um, boost to our wisdom and maybe some evolutionary impulse for our consciousness is not lost. It's definitely, if we're talking a simulation here, an advanced simulation, it is being recorded somewhere and it's accessible and usable. So right, in, right. In but I don't think you, get, you would the, get it back I, in the end. Yeah, I don't think you get access to it every time you come in, though. Well, no, I wasn't saying that. Although okay. some people get access to a lot of it. So, yeah, that's um, the other thing. And that's and that is exactly the other thing is a lot of people do, have, like you've heard, especially children talking about, past lives or being grown or whatever, having weird memories. Actually, right? I, Saul, I've heard you mention that you, you have memories of being one of your past relatives. I, I do have that experience. I know that recently somebody else, you know, has brought another or suggested that I might've been somebody else. I have no idea really. I mean, and maybe if you're looking at parallel timelines and that kind of thing, everything could be true. Hmm. I mean, yeah, right, well, yeah, parallel timelines piece you know where you where you uh there's a, a lot of data suggesting that people are having uh you know memories of past lives and they're bringing through information and then there's just the intuitive ways that people are accessing information they shouldn't necessarily be privy to then you have these weird serendipities of uh, multiple inventors coming up with the same invention at the same time mm -hmm. You know, so clearly there's something like a newosphere or a thought field or a program or something like that that we're we're getting information from. And then there's the you know there's there's the weirder side of all of this where I would just say to anyone who's um, you know having a problem seeing things as a simulation, I mean, just go back and read Castaneda books one through twelve. Just read them through. In fact, you can listen to them on YouTube. Someone's got all the videos up there. So. 
just go do it and and then come back and tell me that it's you know that we live in a real world that you know <laughs> that is not some kind of weird training ground um it's it's so obvious from the shamanic perspective that that we are in a potential training ground the question is in that in that way of looking at the world do you embrace that challenge do you become Become a hunter and then a warrior and then a man of knowledge and so on and so forth. Or do you just hunker down and wither away and learn nothing from this existence and reboot and do it again? Uh, or do you, like Howdy says, you figure out the code to get out permanently? Yeah, this gets into a really fascinating discussion. And this is where, in a strange way, I don't disagree with him. I just don't look at it as a trap because that's, to me, that's just victim language. And I don't, I don't go there. It's like, for me, that's like COVID. It doesn't exist for me. That victim shit is shit. And I do not I agree. All right. So there you go. Uh, I, I actually, uh, that was when I heard him say that stuff, it sounded, I was like that. People say that, he, you know, what he says sounds suicidal. It sounds pretty dark. It sounds like, yeah, victim, victim, um, terminology there and that's that's not what we're about at all we are definitely not playing that i know a lot of people do and we don't we don't empathize with victims yeah to me when you go there you're you're you know you're indulging in something you know to use a kind of don juanish phrase you're indulging in a mood and you're not being a warrior uh, you know, anyone, and I mean, I've indulged in all kinds of moods and I still do it occasionally. I'm, I'm really working my way out of that way of being. And so I'm, I'm familiar with it and I'm as guilty as anyone. So I'm not really trying to point a finger, but when we indulge in a kind of feeling of helplessness or that we're a victim, really, we're just making a choice to not step into our own power. And you even have power if you're going to be killed. You mm -hmm. have the power to face your death in a certain way. You really have that power, whether you do or not. You know, that's a, that's another question. You know, will I do that? Well, I hope so. Yes, I do hope so that I'll be able to do that. But maybe I'll freak out and wet my pants. I have no idea. <laughs> but I will at least strive to be a warrior about all of this. Right. So and that's one of the things. And I don't understand how so many people are doing it. But like in, in Canada now, isn't isn't like assisted suicide? becoming all the rage and that's just that's the ultimate form of giving up just being in your 30s and just like fuck it yeah it's really really wild mm. but i'm here again you know we can talk about the societies that are doing these seemingly crazy things and maybe you know maybe there are reasons and agendas behind all of this you know but one of the agendas has to be just that the simulation is going to give you that option if you're going to be mm. such a weakling as to embrace it really you know, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, you know, nothing that I, I find particularly noble about that gesture. And mm -hmm. I understand that some people are in great pain and, and have various problems going on. And maybe, maybe I would make a different decision in that case. But for many people, the type of people you're describing, uh, this is not, this is not the right path. It's yeah. Just, I mean, the, the terminal completely you know terminal injury or terminal cancer or whatever and you're in pain you can't afford the medication and all those things that's an entirely different situation but you're, yeah the situations that they're looking at i've seen i've seen the uh the, the, i don't know if they're memes or they're just pictures of of um of letters from you know from from uh what was the military one of them where they're like well you know have you considered this and it's it's the suicide thing it's like how do you how does it become a thing? It's like, you know, you know, have you considered killing yourself? 
And that was a a joke on the internet 10 years ago, you know? Consider the following, suicide, that was like a meme, and now it's literally a thing. Well, one thing I've realized looking at the history of memes in, in the internet age is that if you identify a really funny meme and track what happens in the in the quote-unquote real world over the next decade or so, mm-hmm. very significant elements of that meme, if it's a popular meme, will actually come true. Oh, yeah. In the first season of this show, we did two episodes of Meme Magic. And um, we did a lot of meme. Well, there seemed to be quite a bit of meme magic surrounding Trump. This was 2016 when we started the show. Um, and we've, we've, we've taken a completely different opinion on Trump and reality with the reality surrounding him since then. Um, but we did talk about meme magic and how, meme, again, how memes do become reality and how, how you can generate reality through memes. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful kind of cliff note-ish way of doing it. It's a wonderful snapshot that has a lot of power, a lot of immediate impact, and it can shift people's consciousness and get them into a certain mood, if you will, immediately. And then you start creating that reality. It's a, it's just, it's spellcraft, it's spellcasting, it's, it's the same old shit. Mm -hmm. Well, everything is, everything is witchcraft at the end of the day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, we 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 talk about this all the time here, um, you know, and everybody's whether it's in the media or in in academia or whatever, it's it's all it's all witchcraft and pharmacia and and Kabbalah and uh, I don't know what what other what other forms can we throw in there? <laughs> but isn't that kind of our default though? I mean, you know, think about the hunters who mm-hmm. a long time ago would say we're going hunting and. We we're going to draw our game in the sand, and then we're going to draw a circle around it so that it comes to us. And then, lo and behold, they go out, and there's that animal. Right, they I would mean, manifest it. Right. I would just say, as as verbal imaginative beings, our default mode is that we use magic. I don't I don't disagree, and like I jokingly have said that you know the reason why the X Men exist is to mock the fact that we can't do that stuff anymore. I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a term that was popularized by Yu-Gi-Oh players, but we talked about it in Magic also, where if you basically if you believed you could draw the good cards and you were going to beat your opponent, that you would m- do much better in the tournament. Mm. You manifest you get your that cards, win right? Streak, you get the fire, and then you, you keep burning, basically. Oh, it's the same with poker. Get poker on a hot streak. Have, yeah, yeah you get on a hot streak, man. Yeah, poker. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hot streak. I mean, there even in the language, there's something combusting and moving mm-hmm. the whole thing forward like a big steam engine. Oh man, poker's poker's my thing. For a long time, I was like, I can do this professionally. And I was, I was I was almost there, but you know, wife and kid playing poker not really a, the lifestyle for that. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, took an arrow to the knee. Did you? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be I mean this is back in the this is the early aughts with when uh, all the all the stuff was going on with the World Poker Tour, the World Series of Poker was hopping and I had I was getting out of the military and one of my buddies was from Vegas and he went to he went to Vegas and entered three tournaments, won a bracelet and placed in the other two. Ridiculous. Like like wow. what? Yeah, nothing like it's like a thousand dollar bracelet tournament, so he won like like hundred and eighty seven thousand or something like that. This is early, early aughts. And um he got out of the Navy, took his money, um, married his high school sweetheart, and he plays poker. He takes uh, tourist money. <laughs> That's what he does now. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. What a life. Yeah. And I was like, that's the life, man. I really want to do that. And it didn't, didn't work out that way for me. <laughs> it's all good though. I still beat everybody I play. So. Oh, I bet you do. Yeah. I, you do. I have a, I, dude, I have a shelf. Like I have on my bookshelves. I have the, you know, when people are like post physique faggot online, whenever I'm like post library and I'll, you know, <laughs> so let me show you what, you, show me what you, what you've read. Homeboy. But yeah, on my library at the very top shelf, I have a huge selection of like every poker manual theory, whatever, all Doyle Brunson stuff all the way to the newer stuff. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I know that? that it's a total subculture. And, and that's uh, math, too. Study. And that's a lot of math, too. Because everything is math. At the I end of the day, everything is math. Really, I was never very good at it. I, you know, it was not how my mind worked. Right, but, but like I was just saying, like everything being like we say, like the every in the simulation is just a mathematical construct. Everything like that is math. Like even the hot streak stuff, it's all mathematics. Like what you, if you can, you know, you can do the probabilities and the odds, and then you throw in a little bit of luck and and uh, the other human element. But like all all that, pretty much everything is math when you break it down. Yeah, I agree. And it's a wonderful way of, of uh, understanding how things work. Again, going back to the archaic stuff, you know, all of the <laughs> calendrics and, and the, the mathematics and the way all that works, you can just see it very, very clearly. If you don't spend some time with it, 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 it can appear, you know, like there's a jumble of information here. But as you begin sorting it out in your mind, it gets it gets pretty darn clear how this is how this is constructed in terms of time. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and again, everything is cyclical, and all all the numbers just seem to all work out. <laughs> it's, it's, again, so because it's yeah. math. <laughs> Go ahead, Saul. What were you gonna say? I didn't have anything to say. Oh, oh, oh. um. Okay, so enough enough about calendrics and math and archaics and stuff. Let's talk more about your stuff. Um, you're on Substack. You write you write a lot on Substack. Yeah, I write. I write some. I put videos up there. Okay. I, uh, you know, I, I usually post something about it every day. It's uh, SaulLuckman.substack.com. Nice. I was, um, and you have you have a, you have a paid Substack up there. I was gonna read it, but I didn't. I didn't, and I saw that today. It's like, oh, yeah. Man. There's, a, um, I mean, there's a lot of free material, and then yeah, there is. We were gonna do the Sasquatch one, and I was like, ah, oh, and it's a paid. It's a paid. Oh, was that paid? I, yeah. I would have looked through or just sent you to a different place. That's ah, yeah. all right, but we. Um, Let's talk about the Sasquatch thing for a while because we talk about Sasquatch and Bigfoot here a lot. We love the cryptids, cryptids, excuse me, the cryptids here. Uh, Bigfoot being one of our favorites. Obviously, it's everybody's favorite. Um, what possessed you to write a story about a Sasquatch lady? Yeah, she was just a character in it. But okay. I, uh, I grew up loving, loving. Um, Bigfoot, you know, I saw the, the the creature from Black Lake and you know that kind of thing when I was younger, and I just got really fascinated by it. I I was doing squatching, you know, when I was like in the sixth grade, you know, uh, in the mountains uh, of uh, <laughs> Western North Carolina, and I was like, like walking around and <clears throat> uh, looking for looking for Sasquatch and uh, hoping to find something, and and then then I. Uh, you know, years later, it had always been something I'd been interested in. And as a father, I was living out in um, Northern California with my young son, who was really, we were really into finding Bigfoot, right? And so, you know, he's like nine or 10 years old, you know, so perfect, perfect show for that age, not too scary, you know, funny, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So we would watch that kind of thing, uh, that, that particular show. 
And then one day uh, I I woke up, there, I tell the story in an article somewhere and he he was uh, he was waking me up. I believe that was how it happened. And this idea to write this novel came through, and it came through kind of in a big lump, uh, one big one big plot. And I just started writing it, and um, and it just so happened that it had a, a major Bigfoot theme. I was also really into Lloyd Pye's work. Love Lloyd and, Pye's uh, work. Lloyd Pye, you know. So and since I've done all this work in with. DNA and genetics and looking at all that, his, his way of his lens of looking at the, you know, the, the cryptid phenomenon through mm. genetics, I found really, really fascinating. There's that one great uh, lecture of his from the late 1990s. And I was actually uh, in contact with him when he died and, really? and he died as I was writing, as I was writing snooze. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him and then he suddenly died. It was a very quick thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I was really sad. For those of us who aren't familiar, what's his thesis on the genetics? Like well, quick, it's, I mean, it's rather involved. <laughs> I mean, he has books on the subject and that sort of thing. But I mean, essentially he's saying that they were, you know, possibly Neanderthal and that we, you know, we're, we're looking at, at something that we've seen in the fossil record already, <laughs> perhaps, mm -hmm. and that's one possibility, but that we've just misidentified it. And so he's looking at different chromosomal markers and that kind of thing. And he does have some really interesting information about that. That's like, you know, wow, that's very, very odd. So he has a, a, a YouTube video. Like if you go to my Substack and you type in, uh, was historical Russian ape woman really a Sasquatch? Before it even gets into the paid part of that, you can access, I believe, his, um, his uh, video. And it's called uh, Everything You Know is Wrong. And it's a, just a wonderful, I don't know, it's like an hour-long presentation that he gave that mm. became a bit of a kind of a cult presentation. I have both of his books, Everything You Know is Wrong and Everything yeah, You yeah, Know is Still Wrong. Too. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. Lloyd Pye was great. Um, he's the reason why uh, L.A. Marzulli does a lot of the stuff that he does. Uh, he worked with Dr. Lloyd Pye. His daughter, doesn't Dr. Pye's daughter still still run his operation pretty much? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think that's who I corresponded with after after he passed. So, you know, I just I just went on, you know, um, you know, with my with my thing. But, I, you know, I was I was I was saddened because I really appreciated his work. And it just seemed yeah. to happen out of nowhere. But I think I think you're right about that. He's yeah, his stuff was awesome. And the, the Paracas skulls, Dr. Lloyd Pye was the uh, the star child uh, theory of the Paracas skulls in yes. uh, in South America for the listeners that don't know what we're talking about. You know, and then I was also in that whole window of time, I was looking into, um, you know, somebody who was very, I feel like her, her work was really attacked and, and sullied in a lot of really sneaky and weird ways. And that was Dr. Melba Ketchum. Mm. She was looking into, um, you know, different samples and she claimed to have like DNA, uh, from, from, uh, Sasquatch. And, uh, so that's, that's really interesting. You can look into all of, uh, Melba's, uh, information. There's also, um, you know, you've got, uh, Jeff, Jeff Meldrum, who's a, a Bigfoot author and researcher. And, you know, he's, he's been interviewed by Linda Moulton Howe. And then you've got, uh, you even have like Jane uh, Goodall mm -hmm. <laughs> talk about how, you know, from her perspective, uh, you know, such a, such a being could very easily exist. And this is someone who had studied the great apes and, 
Um, so, you know, there's lots of people uh, really saying they thought it could be real. And so I'm writing a fictional story. So I, I, I relied on a lot of that to make a number of their points in my text, specifically, specifically Lloyd Pye's stuff. That's where I really, I really borrowed from his and I, I put him in the acknowledgments. Um, but I was thinking about some of the other stuff occasionally as I was, as I was, in a sense, convincing myself of the reality of this creature. So I, I because I was really wanting to make it seem real to the reader. Right and I flatter myself that I did a pretty good job. The book has been pretty successful. Next year is the the 10 year anniversary of it. And it's won some literary awards and it's got, you know, it's got quite a following and, and, nice. um, and I've been rereading it because I'm thinking about doing an audio book of it. And, you know, I've been kind of struck by the story because honestly, it's been so long since I've even looked at it that it, feels like somebody else wrote it. And every once in a while, I think, well, that was a pretty catchy turn of phrase or that was interesting, you know, and then I realized, oh, I wrote that. That's really weird. Yeah, that's 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 pretty funny, actually. I like this line. Could it be there's no such thing as the paranormal? Only infinite varieties of normal we've yet to understand. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about Dean Radin's um, super normal, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's kind of his position. And mm -hmm. What's well, so, yeah, it? Science is just magic, or magic is just science you don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. And then any culture who is that you know is it, was it Asimov or who was it who said that um, that in any culture um, seeing a technology that's above their level of understanding, they would interpret it as magic. Absolutely, which is uh, one of the things that uh, I believe that's again going back to Jason, but like the the the, the quote prehistoric people that didn't write every anything down. Well, that's because everything was stored in the cloud, right? Yeah, I mean, there's all these pictures on these um, these uh, reliefs, these Sumerian reliefs. These guys are carrying these handbags, right? Nope. They're just they're and they're just Timbuktu bags. Is all they are. Of course, yeah. you know. But of course, they're Timbuktu. They're not yeah. in the context of this discussion that they're literally carrying around their iPhones in these. I mean, you know, not exactly iPhones, but you get the drift. In these little bags, the little purses. Yeah, well, Gene Roddenberry didn't just come up with that on his own. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think so many, so much of the stuff that really took off, like, um, you know, uh, things like Star Trek, uh, it either took off because it was a really good idea that they were given by somebody, <laughs> or it was an okay idea, but it was heavily publicized and promoted and it was made to be successful. Over right. Time. I think it's a little of both. Um, like it's an, like a lot of this stuff, it's kind of an old idea, like the communism, you know, the, what is it? Uh, interstellar global space communism, whatever Star Trek's supposed to be. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good description. Yeah. And then you have, but that's an older, that's, that's older than, you know, than the 1980s or 70s. Was it the seventies, late seventies, the first one? Well, this brings up, um, one of my new interests right now, which is Philip K. Dick, because I've never really read any of his books before. I'm, I'm not reading them now. I'm, I'm listening to them while I'm at work, but I've seen tons of the movies based on his works. And I didn't realize um, he said a couple of the the, the books he wrote. Um, I can't remember which ones off the top of my head. I think Man in a High Castle is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that um, the police state one, I can't remember the name of it, but that one, he said they basically came to him through um, almost like a, like an extra century type of thing. Have you, are you familiar with his work Vallis? I haven't, I have not read that. So 
he gets it's about he he's a character in the book which is the only one he's written where he does this yeah that's and, his, that's, his, that's known as his metafictional work I, but I, for some reason i haven't gotten around to that one yeah this is when he's quote unquote started going crazy uh so he said he got hit in the head with a beam of information like a pink beam and that he learned languages that he didn't know uh, and all sorts of things. And he basically developed uh, an extra persona and it, it almost, I haven't, I'm not familiar with your work for Luke, but it almost off the cuff, what you're talking about sounds like a very similar type of experience that Philip K. Dick claimed that he had in real life. And he went to the grave claiming it was true. You know, the fascinating thing about that is that there have been people who have compared my, my work to his in these, in these ways, not necessarily as, uh, you know, I'm nowhere near as famous as Philip K. Dick and that sort of thing, but just that there are weird similarities in how the stories came about. So that happened with Beginner's Luke, where I had this almost, you know, almost uh, a fantasy-like experience in my imagination. Then with Snooze, I woke up and the story was there in my mind. And with Callie the Destroyer, which is a Gnostic novel, and Philip K. Dick is generally considered to be one of the great Gnostic fiction writers. Um, in, in Callie, I, that book came about uh, before the whole pandemic kicked off, and it's a pandemic novel. And I was given the plot before it happened, and I began writing it. And then all around me, the pandemic started happening, hmm. very similar to what I was writing. Wow, that's a synchronicity and a half right there. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, yeah. and, and it, it invited me to make jokes uh, with my partner, Lee. Occasionally, I'm like, you know, am I the Lord Archon? Because the Lord <laughs> Archon, Demiurge, is actually ca a character in that novel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, these these beings are kind of constructing our reality in one way or another. This was, this was pre-archaic, but I was still thinking along these lines. And I'm like, am I am I somehow just believing this all of this into being because I I, I connected with it so much that I started writing a, a big fat book about it? Hmm. You know, really, really weird. Am I going frigging crazy like Philip K. Dick? <laughs> <laughs> well, haven't yeah. Um, so I, I take it you believe in synchronicity then? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I we could probably talk a lot about and maybe debate like what it is and how it works. But yeah, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Jung and, you know, you know, the story of the Rose Chafer beetle that mm -hmm. showed up, right. You mm -hmm. know, that story that how he came, one of the great examples of synchronicity, he was seeing a, a, a patient who was describing essentially a scarab in her dream. And this, this noise was happening on the window and he went and opened the window and in flew this big rose chafer beetle, which is this kind of a Swiss equivalent of a, of a scarab. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, it just, you know, just, just showed right up the next day. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely synchronicity. <laughs> that's interesting. They had a scarab in, um, that Netflix show, uh, 1899. That's another one that you're, you're really big on Grognet. The yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, Good show. I like is, Dark a lot too. Is that one full of the old uh, predictive programming? Um, it's 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 about a that we live in a simulation. Oh, that's that one. Basically. Okay, right, right, right. I, well, I dark, get confused. Dark is more about time travel. Okay. Actually. Well, I get recommended so many of these things that I never watch. So <laughs> I don't I don't watch much of anything. I don't have time to watch much of anything. And then Thirteenth Floor was a fascinating movie back in around nineteen ninety nine or something like that. Another simulation movie. I remember watching that. 
and thinking that was really crazy. That was around the same time The Matrix and Dark City and all those were all coming out, right? Those series were all the uh, simulation movies. So it was all kind of, yeah. Right. I mean, the timing was right because that mm-hmm. was when people were beginning to see where this computer thing could go. Right. The, the Truman Show and all that. And they tried. Then they right. did the Y2K scare. <laughs> scary into big computer taking over everything. Your digital watch is going to eat you. That's right. That's yeah. right. I was at a fish concert in Florida. For Y2K? Yeah. We were at Y2Tray. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. It was a big Cypress Indian reservation in the middle of Florida. Where the fish was like, all right, you guys, we're going to have a party, but we're going to stay the hell away from everything else where the people can like fuck shit up. So we're going to go out in the middle of the swamp. The only dry spot in the middle of the swamp. It was great. It was, there was alligators and stuff, like, but they were like far away. But it was cool. And uh, we and I, I woke up the next day and I called my dad and I, he was he was in Connecticut. And I was like, "Did New York explode?" He said, "No, nah, everything's fine." And that was my first experience with the uh, fake computer simulation scare theory thing. Yep, that was a that was a pretty obvious one. <laughs> Nineteen ninety nine, man. That seems like so long ago. I'm glad you were so concerned about New York City. Well, I was like, well, I mean, I'm from Connecticut, right? And I was like, if New York blows up, there goes Connecticut. We're like the suburbs, you know? So I was like, I was, I was afraid. It was, what I was afraid was everything was going to shut down and like, you know, all the zombies from, from New York were like coming and invade or something. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I don't remember what I was thinking. <laughs> but all I know is that Y2K didn't happen. And uh, the countdown timer and all that stuff, the nukes didn't go off. And uh, I remember there was some scare about uh, if the timer or something happens with the timer, it's going to set off the nuke thing and everybody's going to blow. I don't remember. But there's no such thing as nukes. That's right. Thankfully, thankfully, there's no such thing as nukes. <laughs> so I was like, "What the hell am I? What, what did I walk into?" No, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I know it's a it's a it's a hot button topic for a lot of people, but I've seen a lot of weird, weird, contradictory information about that. I've been following that for a long time. I, I never I, really made up my mind on it, but I, I think it actually falls into the same category as viruses mm-hmm. and flat Earth. I think maybe it does and it doesn't exist, and so you know. Unfortunately, I don't. Things, well, not unfortunately. I don't think that one was real for the people that got hit by the bombs either. So, yeah, maybe I don't know. It's, I I don't know the the capabilities of the sim to to pull that off. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't um, you know, some of the activity of of, of those explosions certainly doesn't doesn't uh, fit the scientific model that we're being given to explain them. Oh, absolutely. We we are on our last episode where we talked about that. We had an author, Chris Kasky. He wrote a book called War Against the Goyim. And it's most it's um he's got a couple chapters about like nine eleven and then the nuke thing, and we got into um in Japan and our um one of our buddies Alt Skull he lives in Japan and he goes to Nagasaki and he talks to people that are from there and it's like yeah everybody went back to, like everybody went back to the normal business like you know two days later like. Wow. All wow. the stuff that they said happens that ever happens. That's the problem with being American is you get lied to 24-7, 365 days a year. Um, anytime you turn on your TV or newspaper, everything you read, everything they give to you, it's all a lie. Like there's so you have absolutely you really have absolutely no idea what is real at any given point, really. I, I could substantiate that. I used to live in Japan and I knew a lot of people <clears throat> um 
among the Japanese who are typically very reticent to say anything against the grain, you know, but in, in confidence, I was told by a number of people that, um, you know, there were a lot of holes in those, in those stories and that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it may not have happened as, as has been taught, especially in the West. And that's the same thing Skull says. If you get them, if you're really cool with them, they take you aside and they're like, listen, don't tell the kids cause they're in school, but listen, this is what's really happening or what really happened. Yeah. Similar. Yep. yep. Yep, and that's and and that's the thing is like and we are fed a line of bullshit from the day we're born before we're born. Like you know, the, the mom puts the, the music, and then they play it for you, or whatever the the Sesame Street lullaby music. They're just programming you from inside the womb. Um, from the moment yeah. you're born, the, the programming begins, and it doesn't end until you until you pass out of the simulation. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of research uh, about. Um you know, sort of prenatal trauma and hormonal imbalances that result from weird things that happen while you're, you know, in the womb. And, um, you know, so yeah, the programming does actually start before birth. Mm. Oh man. Don't even, don't even start talking about the chemicals because then Alex Jones will show up talking about the frogs, but he's not wrong. He's not wrong, but we, we actually might do an episode on the conspiracy of, the estrogenization, if that's even a term, of the West and how it's been done and how the population control has been done using estrogen and feminism and women in general. It's going to sound really uh, misogynistic, and, and that's that's okay. You know, I, I, I like the title, est- the estrogenization of the West. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know... It's that's true. It's true. I mean, I used to call it the pussification of America, but it's just, no, it's completely just the estrogenization of the West in general. Oh, that's really, really funny. Well, when you uh, you see these kids that are, you know, they're, I say kids, they're in their early 20s and they can't look you in the eye, you know, because they have no social skills because all they know how to do is look at screens and, you know, and like these, they're not real people. These are just a bunch of, oh, just soy, zoomer perm having piles of goo. Yeah, like uh, skinny jeans wearing soy boys, right? Yep. And that's all of them, you know, black, white, brown, if they're not obese. Well, the divide between between the people who are looking up in this reality and the people who are looking down at a reality on their black mirror, it's getting larger and larger. You know, it's also you- fascinating in a lot of ways. I mean, I you know, I I find it comical. There's so much just, just insanity you know how a few years ago people were like, just enjoy watching the movie. And they were talking about something else, obviously. <laughs> the Q movie, right. No. You know, the that's... Q movie. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-mm. I mean, the big movie, the, the movie with the, the movie. The movie, yeah. You know, and it's just absolutely fascinating. When you when you feel more empowered, when you're doing things to, to claim your power, to claim your imaginative sovereignty, and I don't mean like the sovereignty movement or anything like that. I mean, I mean, you know, various techniques and things you can do to make yourself more powerful and more able to create your reality. When you do that and you look at the movie, you watch it for a while, it can be hilarious and vastly entertaining, but you don't have the same emotional connection to it. You're not Mm -hmm. digging up uh, as much information as you can trying to put the pieces together because at some point you realize that a lot of what passes for knowledge is just bullshit and it's absolutely worthless absolutely and that's the whether it's conspiracy candy or like matt from quantum of conscience calls them pissed on breadcrumbs 
or j- just the uh, the the reality generated rabbit holes that you can go down just trying to research any old mundane thing or non mundane thing. But yeah, you gotta, you gotta realize that all this, all this stuff is, is, is being generated for you. Yeah. And past a certain point, it doesn't matter what else you find. There are no secrets to be revealed. You've seen the patterns. All you really need to do is see the patterns. Mm -hmm. Once you become, once you become, you know, again, like a Jedi to use (laughs) at seeing patterns or you're Neo, you can see the code or whatever it is, whatever it is, when you can become where you can see, again, see the patterns. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a different phrase and nothing. nothing Here here you go. Can I save you? Here's my favorite. Star Wars what is thing. It? The difference between a Jedi and a Sith. Do you know what it is? The Sith a deals Jedi, with absolutes. A Jedi, a Jedi embraces death and a Sith fears it. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was the Sith deals and absolutes. That's a little, I like that. It's kind of tall techy, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. But yeah, so to, yeah, to fear death, embrace death as like the next step on your journey. Or whatever that, you know of whatever that is in this whatever reality, um, and again yeah, like, we're, we're even lied to about death to fear it your whole life, and that's right. going to be horrible, and you know that's the end of you, and you're going to get a final judgment. Oh yeah, As you're going to get a final judgment, and if you didn't do the right things and say the right things and read the right version of the proper book, you are going to go to a place that is very hot for a very long time, and it's not going to be fun at all forever. Well, really, that's the ultimate control, the, right? The, you know, the death piece is the ultimate aspect of the control matrix. It's mm-hmm. the greatest leverage they have. So they create the fear and then they leverage death. It's funny. I was just on autodidactic last week and Campbell and I had a long conversation about death as an advisor, very much in the Toltec sense. Hmm. I have to listen to that. I actually, yeah, I listened some to- synchronicity right there. Actually, I was I was posting something about the Toltec as you were doing that with him, and then I watched it the next morning, and it blew my mind. <laughs> that that is wild. That's completely wild. I mean, the, the gist of that is is that your life can't really have meaning. It's kind of like it's in the same category as the simulation notion that you can't really have your memory in fully intact and benefit from the simulation. As a, as a teaching tool or as a training ground. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you didn't have your death and you were just going to live forever, there would be no urgency and you would you also would not learn and develop. Right. You couldn't mature if there was no end to the, you know, there, there, if there's no if there's no peak to get to and then, you know, to coast down into the end. If you're all it would always be. I don't know. It would always be the same. I guess if for eternity. Exactly. And there would be no there would be no true feeling because there you everything would be so watered down that you would not have ecstasy you would not have a uh, true fear mm. everything would be kind of numbed like a the vampire Toltecs, the Toltecs would say yeah i guess so uh, the Toltecs would say that the world is feeling whatever you think the world is if you're thinking it you don't know what the world is the world is actually a feeling or a series of feelings so when you don't feel, and our whole culture is kind of being taught either not to feel or to feel in a certain very debilitating way, then you can absolutely be controlled. Your power can be reduced, and you can be corralled. Mm-hmm. Or you have your feelings controlled by a uh, by a pharmaceutical. That by too? a pharmaceutical, 
by entertainment, by the news cycle, by the alternative news. Oh, that too, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think some of the greatest controllers right now are people working in the alternative media. Hmm. Because like the like industry plants, of course. Stuff. Well, yeah, you I mean, mean so like so many, so beyond Alex Jones? Outside the box. <laughs> so many people have gotten outside the box and they're not listening to the mainstream. And those that are, they're lost. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They don't matter in this discussion. But then you have these other people whose souls are kind of up for grabs, if you will. That's just a poetic way of looking at it. Okay. And so they can't be gotten at by the mainstream channels, the people who are really snowing them and, and, and pulling them down, towing them under are people that they trust in the alternative media. Right. And, and this again, the old, this, is the, this is the old limited hangout controlled opposition mm-hmm. thing, but it's, it's rampant just on YouTube. It is unbelievable how much I see of that. Well, absolutely. And you can look, I mean, look at the flat earth stuff for that, for glaring examples, uh, like your Mark Sargent's, right? Where he went even so far as to do a commercial where he's being called um, a buffoon or an idiot. I can't remember which, but he's known for what? Flat earth. And he's being called a buffoon. He's, you know what I mean? He's like, he's poisoning the well of flat earth by doing that kind of stuff. He's obviously, th- you know, throwing it under the bus right off the bat. Uh, that happens a lot. You get your disinformation shills. You've got your, um, your, uh, de-radicalization shills. Well, they, have, they have Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that we live in a simulation now because everyone he oh, knows. Oh yeah, that that's can't right. Trust Didn't him. he just, did, wasn't that recent? Like last week? Yes. 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 And I believe Elon says it too. So well, Elon says it all the time. Elon says stuff like that all the time. He's the one who's, but he's allowed to cause he's Elon. He's cool. He sent the Tesla to Mars, bro. <laughs> I think Neil deGrasse actually retracted his statement after having a conversation with another quote unquote scientist. Oh boy. So, you know? So anyway, it's always just stirring the shit pot. Just, you know, putting out contradictory information to mm. confuse people all the time. Right. And this is back to why the mathematics of all of this is so important. It's because, you know, uh, Rashid Wallace, a great basketball player, used to say, ball don't lie. And so I would say the numbers <laughs> aren't lying. You know, the numbers don't lie. And then you can look at those to find out the the bedrock patterns of how things are operating. Mm-hmm. From that, you, you might end up having to spec- speculate and extrapolate but you're not doing it out of a void. You actually have a concept for how the how the flow of information is occurring. Right. We have a we have a friend of our Telegram channel, Pythagoras, and he anytime there is any sort of happening happening, we can guarantee you within within the hour, Pythagoras will have all of the gematria typed up. And for that to work out the way it does, for the amount of thirty threes and sixes and sevens and sixes sixes and six six sixes and all, you know, for all of those to work out, the only way it could work out is if this was a mathematical simulation, and it happens too often. And like the math you see on the TV screen, how many threes and thirty threes were on the screen when Damari Hamlin got whacked and got carted off the oh, field? Oh, right. Or twenty threes when Michael crazy. Jordan, or the thirty eights with LeBron and the the shooting is. 38,388th point on when he was 38 on the 38th day of the year. And like, it's just too many of those coincidences numerically for it to be coincidence. 
Yeah, and by the way, that's a Phoenix reference, so that's very really yes. interesting. Yes, it is. Yeah, one thirty-eight, and the you know, in, in terms of the gematria, I did an interview a few weeks ago with Waters Above, who does crypto analysis and he uses gematria, and and yeah, he does the same thing over and over again. It just shows this this redundancy of patterning, mathematical patterning, in all of these different rituals and situations, and it's just. It's just uh, there's no way it's just happening randomly. It's not possible. And nor is there any way that it's all being planned by human beings. <laughs> right. The Illuminati are not integrated. putting that many threes on the screen when the clock says 30, three minutes and 33 seconds. And somebody walking by as a shirt with number 83, but you can only see the three. And the other person walking by as a shirt 36, but you can only see the three. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, that's not a nobody. Sorry, I don't care. I mean, again, unless it's a computer program, a mathematical computer simulation like Peter Jackson did in uh, with the Lord of the Rings fight scenes, you know, like how many? There you go. How many we have or, or at Purdue University, we have the SWS, the sentient world system, right? It, it, it has the entire population of, the, of Earth in it and it just runs simulations as to what everybody does at any given moment in time, right? Wow. Like. That's we. That's what they tell us. We know that they do this with this quantum computer. There, you know, they're just running simulations of like to any possible. Like who knows? I mean, they run qubits, which is what a trillion bits of information per second. But of course, they're lying about that too because they're not really doing any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like the that that system and the hadron collider got together and had you know I don't mm -hmm. know uh, the moon lander. As a baby. <laughs> well, that's the thing is if the Hadron Collider and the sentient world system computer had a baby, I guarantee it would look more like a Tesla than that piece of shit that supposedly went to the moon. And it would be called Moonbeam. Yes, it would definitely be called Moonbeam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, before, before we lose you, I did want to ask you a question about a topic. Now, we didn't, we didn't really make fun of simulation stuff too much on this show, but we have kind of at least tongue-in-cheek made fun of a lot of things before we took them more seriously yes. later like flat earth and all yes that. happens a lot now what is your opinion on time travel that's what snooze is all about and okay. uh, so um i provide a a model for how that might work it's not my own but i use it i use it as the uh explanation for how time travel works and it's based in dewey larson's reciprocal theory of physical uh reciprocal system of physical theory where he postulates that the domains of space time where we live in time space are in an inverse relationship and so if we travel in if we go over into time space and we travel a distance when that translates back to where we live here it's time travel mm. So all you have to do is get over into the dream world and walk somewhere and then pop back over here and you've time traveled so does the amount of distance that you travel like like determine the length of time you travel as well or is it the the amount like how does that work it's it's it is it is a mathematical um, all right i'm gonna ha yeah. i'm gonna have to definitely check out your book snooze because it's got like a lot of stuff we like it's time travel it's got bigfoot it's got it's got all kinds of cool shit in there. It's got the Lightness Monster. It's got oh, uh, oh new, come on, sold the Bermuda Triangle. All right, we we still haven't done an episode on the Bermuda Triangle yet. What's your what's your uh your quick TLDR theory on that? Connect well again. This is this is the snooze version of nah. it. when you get to the simulations theory. Everything is a little different, right? Uh, it's not, 
actually you can extrapolate beautifully between a kind of quantum physics model mm -hmm. or a torsion physics model and a simulation model. But if you just want the quote unquote real world ver version of what's going on, then the, the uh, Bermuda Triangle is a is a uh, a, a, uh, a doorway, a portal between time, space, and space time. That is that is the one that makes the most sense. The portal if for the for those who are still in the materialistic view of Earth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, you are about out of time, aren't you, sir? I am. I mean, this right. has been fun as hell. So I, awesome. You know, well, I, I could, I, how I about this? Longer if I had the time. How about we? How about we have you back on again one of these days? I, I would love that. It'd be fun. Awesome. Right on, man. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. All your different locations. Oh, sure. Well, uh, the two main ones uh, would be my uh, YouTube channel, which is Crow Rising. So just follow, uh, find the bird Crow Rising or saulluckman.substack.com. And then you'll find, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place, but those are my two primary landing pads. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Saul. And uh, we'll thanks talk to you Thanks for having me on. Really Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Take it thank easy. Thank you, man. Pause it. All right. Saul Luckman. What'd you think there, Grognak? That was a uh, deep one. That was a big brainy one. I like those. those it was. I liked it. I liked it. I managed to, I hope I didn't manage it. My, I made, we, we had a team effort today. We made sausage and peppers, the wife and I. And she brought me food like halfway through the interview. And I hope you guys couldn't hear it, but I, I muted for 99% of it, I think. Yeah, I did too. Well done. <laughs> Well done. Not sausage and peppers, but yeah. But uh, I can't. I can't not eat like that. that that's like a, that's yeah. That was like what, what did uh, what Joe Rogan said the other day? Like you know, Jews Jews aren't into money. That's like saying Italians aren't into pizza, right? Yeah. I mean, like John, <laughs> give Johnny sausage and peppers. Of course he's gonna eat it. Anyways, um, yeah, man, that was great. I didn't. I I didn't know we we're gonna we we're gonna go so much into Jason's stuff, but that's cool that that he is uh, definitely right along there with him with Jason. Um, I have been listening to uh, more. It's hard to listen to his newer stuff and go back and listen to the old stuff at the same time. Jason stuff. Oh yeah. It's, it's kind of confusing sometimes too, because some of his original videos, he's kind of changed his uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, new, you know, them, new information you know? comes to light and you change your yeah, opinion on yeah. things. Just like, just like we do. We've, and we've made mea culpas about things completely. Speaking of mea culpas, I still don't know it. Okay. It wasn't King of New York. And, um, I, I could have completely that movie that where the guy raped the other guy to show dominance or whatever. I don't remember what freaking movie it was. Now I said it was Christopher Walken. I owe Christopher Walken an apology. I don't think he would ever do something like that, even in a movie. I'll I'll pass it on to him. Yeah, thanks. Really, you know Christopher Walken? Oh yeah. Oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, Reinhardt knows Dave Ramsey, so. Yeah, he goes and has, has wings with him. He goes and has wings with Dave Ramsey and apparently Alice Cooper. His Bible study with Yeah, Alice that was a showstopper. Right? Ask him about that again. Yeah, I know, totally. We're the, we're the only ones here now, so we can like we can talk shit. No, oh, Alice man. Cooper? That's terrible. No, I meant about Reinhardt and the other guys. because nobody. He's actually one of my favorite radio jockeys of all time. Alice Cooper was a radio jockey? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember what station it was. It might have been 99.3. I didn't know that he did. Around Connecticut, I thought. The, or Springfield. I don't know. There was one of them I got locally to me in Central Mass. So 90, somewhere I, around here. There's one. Yeah. There's a rock station that's like Springfield and like, was it Northwestern Connecticut? 
It's it could have been around there. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. 1021? Something like that. Oh, it's been a while. It's been a long, it's been so long. I dude, yeah, I haven't I lived in I haven't lived in Connecticut since 1999, so it's been a long time. Anyway, um that was a great show, dude. Uh another solid interview, I have to say. You know, I know it's pushing our content shows back further, but we keep getting these people want to come on and hang out. So, who am I to say no? Yeah, this is a cool community little pocket of of truthers as mm-hmm. they call them. Right. These guys. We'll have to get auto on sometime too. I would love to have autodidactic on any of those guys. Um, yeah, we're going to actually have John friend on very soon. A uh, friend of mine. And he, he does the realist report and he is the editor in chief of the Barnes review magazine about the most nice. normie facing uh, truthish. Like they they do the whole like you know Germany did nothing wrong the Confederacy did nothing wrong you gotta start somewhere right exactly so um, a lot of revisionist history about uh, America and the um, the lies about America and the Indians you know so they 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 tell the truth about what happened with the Indians it's it's, it's pretty good stuff a lot of World War Two stuff a lot of World War Two revisionism from the yeah. uh, Germans being the good guys side. Anyways, you know, when, once you crack that egg, you know, yeah, you go down the slippery slope of uh, history revisionism. You don't; it's a chasm. You wind up, you you wind up on the paranormies. That's where you wind up. That's right. <laughs> I guarantee you, it'll be a much more, uh, much less um, out there conversation than the conversation we had this evening. But it'll still be fun. I like John a lot. Uh, he is. Well, well, we'll talk to him next week. Anyways, uh, we. Grognak and I are going to get out of here. There will be a creepy pasta following this. And we'll be back Tuesday live on Pilled on DLive and on Odyssey for the Nationalist Inquirer. And we'll see you then. Later. Time travel might make you gay. <laughs> Ever since I was a young kid, I'm talking like seven, I had a fascination with the sewers. Maybe it's because I like the Ninja Turtles so much. Uh, Maybe we can pin it on Mario. I know. Alright. Weird. It's not something you tell a potential new friend. It's not a hobby, a fetish, or minor interest. It's a freaking obsession. I think about it all the time. Every day. In class, when everyone's learning things that are, frankly, probably fake. Romans and Egyptians... How am I going to relate to any of that? I want to know what's under my feet. I'm usually sitting at my own desk, drawing manhole covers in my notebooks. History? It's crap. I've been on the subway, alright? I've seen the building's foundations that go down below the street levels. They got weirdo tunnels everywhere, and they make up all this crap about them to explain. Entire tunnels built to sell whiskey illegally? The quote-unquote underground railroad? Give me a break. Even the school has the weirdo tunnels. That's what I call them. Weirdo tunnels. And I'm a weirdo that goes into them. There's no good explanation for them. None. They go all over town. And lots of BS stories get made up about them. The worst one is about kids who go missing in them. Monsters, ghosts, whatever, you name it. Anyway, alright, today 
I'm going down into the sewers. I have everything I need, and I've got an adjustable headlamp, the six-hour battery, an extra flashlight, a high-resolution vest, and a few glow sticks. I've got some granola bars and jerky, water, and a map of the sewers. Okay, I found that one online, actually. The internet's got all kinds of resources for weirdos like me. I'm also bringing a machete, in case I need to get some homeless druggies to back off. That's actually my real fear, being pinned down at the mercy of some desperate sicko. The high-res vest is for when I want to be seen, but my black hoodie is for when I don't. The plan? Simple. Just gonna skip school. Spend the day in the sewers, no big deal, right? They don't call home for absentees in senior year. They stop giving a damn about the kids a full year before they even leave. I bet they stop caring about most of us after the first week. As long as you don't rock the boat, no one cares if you aren't in class. And no one pays much attention at home, obviously. You'd be surprised what you can get away with if you've got straight A's. So needless to say, senior year has been dedicated to exploring what's underneath my city. I have a couple favorite spots to go in from but sometimes I'll use a new manhole. Turns out, the maps aren't too accurate. In most cases, what's on the map does exist. The thing is, there's a lot that's not even on the maps. So I made some of my own. It's a lot like making maps for role-playing games, right? Sometimes it stinks like hell. I mean, it is a sewer, but sometimes it doesn't. There are parts I've been in that aren't even used. They're old. They're really, really old. The brickwork is different. It's smaller. It's more elaborate. Who the hell's supposed to enjoy all the effort put into it? The rats? Right now, I'm somewhere below the church. There isn't supposed to be any kind of subway here. And yet here I am looking at obvious tracks. My map doesn't show anything by the town or anything made out by me anywhere in this area so far, so it's basically a new frontier for me. I wore my galoshes today, because I didn't know what I'd need to walk through. I've been doing this for a while now, so I've got the full waiters at home for when I need them. And yes, I go up to my chest in sewage. Remember, I'm a weirdo. The new area has arched corridors, which I've seen before. It also has steps, but that's a little bit different. They're long, wide steps. Maybe they're designed as a step-down flow for water, but who even knows? Alright, here we go. As I keep going, the drop gets a little steeper. I have to be careful not to slip, but of course I do anyway. And because I fear flying down on the steep drop, I let go of my flashlight so I can catch myself with two hands. Now it's a long way back for a sprained ankle. And there it goes. I watch the flashlight go flipping and banging down below me. I take my time going down, backwards and slow, like a toddler who hasn't learned how to go down the stairs right. I don't like having just the headlamp, but a crack and drop a few glow sticks as I descend just as I did above. After some climbing, I reach the bottom of the steps. Yes, big steps, I guess. And now, I'm in a big area. One of the largest I've seen, 
as far as headspace goes. Sometimes I'm crouching in the tunnels. But here? The brick archways are at least 20 feet above my head. As uncomfortable as I am without my flashlight, I'm just... I'm blown away by the area I've stumbled into and I can't stop taking it in. A hundred people could wander in this room comfortably. Maybe two. What is this place? A transit or depot station? Under the church? The only other light is from my flashlight that rolled up against a corner of this odd place, so I go and scoop it up quickly. But as soon as I do, I catch my breath and just listen. I'm taking in my surroundings. And this place is damn spooky. It's elaborate, old, and it feels like it isn't empty. When you do this kind of stuff, you get used to being alone. No other noises from a friend. No encounters with random homeless people like you might see in the alleys. Down here in the dark, you are alone. And I've grown accustomed to it. So much so, that I know that right now, I'm not alone. First off, there's the light. Not just mine. This place is so grand that I didn't even realize it wasn't total darkness. Second, I just feel someone. I don't feel alone. Down the left side of this odd mega cistern is a very dull orange, a light of some kind. I drop another glow stick, then I take my machete out and walk towards the glowing light. It could just be from above, after all. As I come down the tunnel, I see the source of the light is a strange bottle shape. A lamp. It seems to be an oil lamp, and I've never seen one in real life, but I recognize it from the movies. You know, the flame is dull, and it's just a, a warm glow. Nothing I've come across in all my sewer spelunking has been this freaky. Someone is here. Like a bad horror movie, I walk one foot in front of the other, and shakily towards that glowing lamp. I don't know why. Because I've already come this far? And if I went back now, it, I guess I'd only be sitting at my school desk obsessing over what I left behind here. What is down here? Who is down here? As I walk up to the lamp, I can see that it brings me to a corridor that has another lamp lighting the end of it. Of course, I follow it. This one hung near an iron gate. It has elaborate markings all over. It has a big latch with a busted padlock on it. I guess I'm not the first one to come here. And now that I've seen this freaky gate, I've decided to stick a fork in this trip. But I just want to take a quick peek past it, just for the map making. The latch lifts fine at first, and then makes a squealing, rusty shriek as it gives way. And the heavy gate 
swings inward. The sight has me frozen. Skulls inlay the sides of the walls, hundreds of them. I mean, it looks like the catacombs in France. My light dances from wall to wall of the corridor and I take the scene in, realizing I've been holding my breath since I moved the rusty latch. It's cool. This place is super old. You'll be a fine weirdo supreme. I have to get a good look now, for the maps, right? So I jumble around and find my notebook so I can try and take down some raw detail. And that's when I see it. One of my glow sticks from earlier. How the hell did it get here? It has to be mine. Then abruptly, the latch behind me makes the rusty noise it had when I lifted it. No. Way. I drop the notebook and take out the machete again. I was right. I wasn't alone. I turn and my headlight catches the figure of a hunched thing on all fours, crouching on the opposite side of the gate. Large, dinner plate, saucer-like eyes reflect my headlamp light like the eyes of a cat. This can't be real. It dashes back beyond the portal, out of my light. As I moved my flashlight to get a better look, it... It made a sound, like a grunt, and scampered around the corner. Just what the hell do I do now? What is this thing? From the look of this place... For all I know, it wants to eat me. For a while, there's only silence. But I know he's there. He's damn quiet, but I know he's there. Do I make a break for it? There's no lock, but obviously he'll hear me lift the latch. Can I take him? Doesn't look armed. At least an hour passes and my headlamp dies, leaving me with one light, my invincible flashlight that I can drop a hundred feet, and a whole lot of batteries. By now, the thing seems more eager. It's camping closer, and I can see its cat eyes. Maybe it's only afraid of the ultraviolet LED light I have. Maybe when I go to change my batteries, I'm toast. I look at the skulls on the walls glowing green from my glow stick wondering if I could possibly battle this thing in the dark. My time is running out. I decided then that I would make my move, while I've got the light. I grab my notebook, scanning my newly drawn passages back, knowing full well that I might be running the whole way. I go towards the gate and take a deep breath. I am not going to die in here. I reach for the latch with one hand, ready to fling it open and do battle with an actual monster. Just as I'm about to grab it, a raspy voice stops me dead, sending a chill right to my bone.
Map. A slender arm comes through the bars of the gate with a hand extended. The skin looks like it's too tight for the bones underneath it. The thing is freakishly gaunt, hairless, almost translucent, like a, with a, a wet shine to it. Without considering my actions, frozen in fear seeing this unnatural thing, I reach down and grab the notebook, holding it in front of me. What am I doing? I could just cut its arm off right now. But maybe there's more. I don't know. It wriggles its long, slender fingers, staring at me intensely. And I take a step forward, pushing the notebook into its hand, which it withdraws slowly turning the notebook to fit through the gate. Standing there, still astonished, I reach into my pocket and pull out some beef jerky. Shaking, I bring my hand up. It was too close. Its slender arms pop through the gate. One grabs me by the wrist, and I reactively drop my weapon to grab at its own arms so I can struggle free. It looks me right in the eyes, grabs the jerky with one hand, and lets go. And slowly, the eyes back up, back up, and they turn and vanish. I'm standing there, crying. I even pissed myself a little. I'm overwhelmed. And you would be too, right? I'm only human. After a minute, or maybe two, I realize this is my best and only chance at getting out of here alive. And I hope he likes beef jerky. I lift the rusty latch, rearmed, and I take off. The huge cistern-looking room is empty, although there's lots of tunnels I can see leading to and from that I didn't see before. My glow sticks and my memorization of my maps brings me right to the big stair-like passage again. I went up much faster than I came down, and then I hit the ground running. I've never bolted through the sewers that fast before. I took a few extra twists and loops, stopping every little while to listen for pursuit. I pick a familiar exit close to the park and police station, and I come up from a manhole. It takes me a while before I've got the nerve to go home. It's dark, and I lay in bed exhausted from my adventure, wondering how I was lucky enough to get out alive. Then my eyes pop open, and I stare at my ceiling, covered with fantasy maps. It let me go after I gave it the map. And now it can find its way out. I got up and stood at my window, looking over my quiet neighborhood. I wasn't going to sleep tonight. Or ever. What have I done? I realize this is my best and only chance at getting out of here alive.
and I hope he likes beef jerky. <laughs>